Well, as I said earlier, we're, we're starting a new series. Uh, we're talking about Elijah, uh, what I would call, he would be what I would call the greatest prophet um, that we see in the scripture. So, so in talking about Elijah, let, let me just um, set it up into some context. I think it's really important whenever we read the scripture that we understand the context. Uh, we always have to understand what's going on when the scripture is written and how, how that translates to us today. We can't just arbitrarily uh, pick scriptures that we want to sustain our own uh, causes and things that we want to do or say. We really need to understand what's behind it and what's the purpose of the message that God has. So let me put this um, into context. We're going to be reading out of 1 Kings. Um, at, that is an Old Testament book. It's toward the front of the Old Testament. Uh, it comes after uh, Samuel, and um, this is a time that's uh, really perplexing for the people of God. So, so it talks a little bit about um, a, a moment in time where the northern kingdom of Israel uh, for 200 years has been led by evil kings. Now, these are kings that, that did not do good in the eyes of God. In fact, uh, the guy who's in power now during this time of Elijah, his name is Ahab. So King Ahab uh, is, is in place, and he's married to a woman named Jezebel. And we'll learn a little bit more about Jezebel in the weeks to come, but she's evil too. How evil is uh, Ahab? The scriptures say that he did more evil as king than any other king in the eyes of God up to that point in history. Now, I don't know about you, but um, I don't want to be known as, as an evil person. I want to be known as a leader um, that is not seen as one who has brought evil about in the eyes of God, but one who has brought good. So, so we understand that this context in, in which um, Elijah is coming. Now, what is it that's so bad that Ahab has done as king? Well, as a leader, he has led the people away from their love, hope, trust, and belief in the one true God. He has, he has moved them into chasing after idols, chasing after things, even to a point making himself as a God, so to speak, and, and is leading in a way that is attracting everyone's attention in the wrong ways and in the wrong places, pulling them away from God. So this is a really dark time in the life of northern Israel during this particular season. Uh, what's going on? Well, we're seeing corruption in his government. We're seeing that he bullies uh, people that he is, is called to uh, lead and care for. We find him uh, removing God from the picture of family, so to speak, from their minds and moving them into false idols and moving them away from a life of holiness. In fact, um, uh, in, in Ahab's uh, words of speech and his actions and all, it is totally against what the scriptures teach. And he is the kind of leader uh, that is leading the people astray. So there's a lot of turmoil, there's a lot of chaos, there's a lot of infighting that's going on in the northern kingdom. Now, let's, uh, let's, let's think about that for a second. Um, you would think that God would raise up an army of people to come and overthrow this evil king. Well, let me tell you, he doesn't. God does what God does so often. God raises up not an army, but one person. In fact, we see all throughout the scriptures of examples of an individual that God puts a call into their life, prepares them for the kingdom's work so that they can be effective into carrying out God's mission and purpose that he has planned for humanity. So what we see here is, is that God calls a man by the name of Elijah to be a prophet to do that. Now, I believe that, that God does that kind of work still today. I believe that, that God didn't just at that point in time in history call people 
to come and champion causes in his name. I believe it happens today. I believe that there are young girls who, who are in uh, middle and high school that God has placed upon your heart the calling to call out for sexual purity. I believe that. And I believe God has put that message in your heart to lead other men and women that you associate with to wait until marriage with your sexual purity. I believe that God is calling um, young and old business individuals and individual to go and to challenge the workings of their company to make sure that they're not engaging in fraudulent activity. I believe that God calls an individual to go and blow whistles on our, on our own world governments to make sure that, that we are not crossing the line and breaking the laws that we value as a nation and even as a world. I believe um, also that, that God is raising up an individual to deal with this whole situation of racism that we are engaged with today. So I don't think this is something that just happened in history. I think it's something that continues to happen today. So, so it's so important to understand this person, Elijah, um, and how are we going to do that? I want to go to, to Elijah's name. Um, Elijah's name is actually broken into three aspects or three different things as to what his name means. It's, it's El, E, and Yah, if we use the Hebrew context. El, El is the name of God, Elohim. So as part of Elijah's name is the name of God itself. Uh, the I is pronounced E in, in Hebrew, and E means a person who uh, is, is mine or my. So it's an individual claimed by God as being mine or my, and the word Yah uh, is the name Jehovah, and that's another name of God. So being a person or being sent by God, a person of God. So when we take the name Elijah and put all that together, as he stands before King Ahab and stares him down, he's basically saying, my very name alone means the God who has sent me, that I come in the name of the Lord God himself and that I am God's servant. And you can imagine when Ahab comes to understand the importance that Elijah is brought into, into his life. So I want to pick up the story in 1 Kings chapter 17. And this is where we're going to start this week and we're going to build upon this over the next three weeks as we look at what is important in the life of Elijah and what we learn from that. So my hope is today what we learn is, is that God is the one who provides all, that, that everything that is about us, our life, our mission, our needs, that God is the source of that. And I'm hoping that as we traverse through this understanding of Elijah, we'll come to that conclusion. So let's go to um, 1 Kings 17, verse 1. Let, let me read this to you. It says, Elijah said to Ahab, so the prophet is speaking to the king, as the Lord, the God of Israel lives, whom I serve, there will be neither dew nor rain in the next few years except by my word. Okay, so, so think about that. So Elijah is saying that God is now commanding through him as a prophet. He is the proclaimer of God's word. That's what prophet means, the proclaimer. And he is saying there will be no dew and no rain for a season until God changes his mind. Now think about that. So in the ancient world, a majority of the economy was agricultural. So this would have a devastating effect upon the northern kingdom. This would be a way to really put it to Ahab in a, in a significance to where it would break his spirit and change his ways, and if not, change him as the king um, in person. So Elijah says that God is saying no dew, no rain. So what does that mean? It means total devastation. It means a global shutdown of the economy 
of, of that particular time. It means rampant unemployment because farmers won't be able to tend to their crops without any dew or any rain. It means that the things of value like food and, and products that keep people alive will be taken away. There'll be massive unemployment. There'll be hunger. There will be homeless. And we'll see the devastation that comes from that. Now, let's put that into today's perspective. So what that would mean is a shutdown of a global economy here. It would mean that, that gas lines would come up because there would be no corn, so to speak, to make fuel, that, that we couldn't put gas in our cars. It would mean that, that electricity probably wouldn't be working as well, that we would have crashes of the, of the money in stock markets and that, that people would be concerned about money and how to live and unemployment. So we can balance this into the perspective of not only of history, but we could see today. I'm trying to help you to live into the magnitude of what this would be. So all of a sudden, we find out that there's great trouble in the land and that the northern kingdom is suffering because Elijah looks at this evil king eyeball to eyeball and says three words, no more rain. It's gone, it's done. Now, now you would think that, that um, God's gonna like suit Elijah up into his boxing outfit. He's gonna teach him the old one-two punch and, and the hook and the cross and all that. And he's gonna physically take this king down. But what we learn is that's not at all what God does. God takes Elijah after making that proclamation and he removes him. He sends Elijah out of the area and takes him out of the equation totally. Now, why would God do that? Why wouldn't God just say, okay, Elijah, go duke it out and, and defeat this guy so that a new and a better and a holy king can come in? Because God wants to take Elijah and God wants to do something in his life. In order for Elijah to be prepared to accomplish the mission that God has for him, God needs to work in his life before God can work through his life. So Elijah must see some changes in his own life before he can be the vessel that God works through to, to change the world and the kingdom in, in his own way. So God says, Elijah, I'm right now interested more in what I'm going to do in you than I am through you. And I am sending you away. I'm sending you away from this place and you need to follow my lead. And the scriptures are very clear. It tells us that, that Elijah follows what, what God says. Now, I, I believe as we look through this and we look at Elijah's life, we're gonna see three distinct movements in what God does in just a couple of verses here in chapter 17. But these are significant. Why are they significant? It's gonna show us what God is doing in his life so that God can do something through his life. And I wanna show the parallel about how God's doing that with you and about how you can do that as well. So, the, so this first season that God sends Elijah through is a season that's filled with overwhelming struggles. Now, if you've ever had a struggle in your life, you know what that feels like. I mean, Elijah feels alone. There's nobody to reach out to. God has told him, you're gonna go to this new place, and basically you're gonna go there all alone. So he feels isolated. He feels kind of um, shut down and shut in, and he's not able to to reach out and, and, and um, throw ideas off of people or to, to text them to get some information back. or he's, he's all by himself in this. And in the midst of this place of isolation, he realizes the pain that he's living in in his own life. So let's pick up the story um, in uh, verses two, two and three here. So the word of the Lord came to Elijah. He says to him, he says, leave here. So, so leave where you are with Ahab and, and turn eastward and hide in the Kareth Ravine. 
which is east of the Jordan, okay? So the Kareth Ravine, this is going to be really important. So the word Kareth, interpreted in Hebrew, means um, isolation. It means to cut off. It means to um, um, not have any provision that's there, but, but it means like a desolation. It means um, isolation, like you're in, kind of all by yourself and there's no one else around. Kareth also means in Hebrew to cut down or to chop or to, uh, to remove from. So, so imagine that, that God is preparing Elijah in him so that he can work through him. So he's putting him into this region of isolation and God is chopping away all of the things of what Elijah is on his own and God is going to be pouring into him uh, what God wants him to be in God. So, so think about that. Uh, the time that you've been in your own life where, where, where you have felt alone, where you have felt isolated, and, and whatever that um, component is that you're struggling with, and, and, and there's those moments where, where God is working in your life, and, and we don't like it at the moment, but God is like chopping away at us. God is like um, working his will through us, and, and sometimes we fight it, and sometimes we, we finally surrender and say, okay, um, I'll do this. But, but the point, though, is, is we go through these seasons ourselves of Kareth Ravine. And in that, God is looking at you and saying, I'm going to work in you. I'm going to chip away and chop away and remove things from you so that I can work through you, the Kareth Ravine. Here's what else happens in the Kareth Ravine. When we find ourselves in that area, um, it's, it's almost as if we, we cry out, where is God and, and why am I alone? And we've talked about you know, those kinds of feelings in our lament series. We talked a little bit about that in our last series called Necessities. And, and we find ourselves alone. But, but what we learn through that season of Kareth Ravine, of isolation and God chopping away, preparing us for the next stage of our life, is that when we get through that, when we move through that process, when we get through that place, then we look back and we find out that God was with us all along and God was the provider. God was the moment. God was the one who saw us through that. Uh, Christian writer and theologian A.W. Tozer, he writes this, he says, it's doubtful that God can bless a man greatly until he's hurt him deeply. Now, some people look at that, well, why is God hurting me? Well, listen, when we want to hold on to our own fleshiness, when we want to hold on to our own agendas, when we want to hold on to our own sinfulness, it is hurtful when God speaks in and God says, you have to remove that from your life. And we, and we have to face that hurt and we have to understand that God is chopping and chipping away, moving us away from a, a, a life that we've chosen that's not holy into a life that is amazing of what God has created. So the, the second place or season that God moves Elijah is, is from that place of isolation. Then he moves him into a, what I call a season of total dependence. So, so God like takes everything away from Elijah and Elijah has to rely totally on God. Remember, there's no dew, there's no rain, so there's a drought. So what's he gonna do for water? And without dew and rain, how's he gonna eat? So what's he gonna do for food? What's he gonna do for shelter? So God, as he's placed him into this Kareth Ravine, so to speak, um, Elijah is gonna have to learn how to totally depend upon God in that. Let, let's go to verses four through six. Uh, God says, Elijah, you will drink from the brook that I've ordered, and I've ordered the ravens to feed you there. So he did what the Lord had told him. He went to the Kareth Ravine, east of the Jordan, and he stayed there. And the ravens brought him bread and meat in the evening, and he drank from the brook. So this is amazing. So he's in the desert. 
Remember the prophecy, no rain, no dew, but God for Elijah, God creates a brook of water out of the middle of nowhere. And God says, position yourself right there and you're gonna have fresh water every day and you're gonna drink from that. And Elijah, because nothing can grow right now because there's no water in the land, I'm gonna send ravens and the ravens are gonna bring meat and bread to you um, every day, and that's what you're going to eat. I mean, think about that. It's like, you know, sitting there by a, a, an oasis pool and a shakaroni pizza falls from heaven and just boom, there it is. And, and like Shaq says, these are the biggest slices ever, you know, that Papa John's has ever done. Shaq, I, I need a, a little money for that little testimony. But anyway, so, so what we see is that God is now providing because there's no other provisions for Elijah. And some amazing things begin to happen. Elijah's all alone. But God has provided him water. God has provided him ravens to bring him food. And the point is that no matter how stuck he might feel, no matter how isolated he is, God is saying to him, you can trust me and you can totally depend upon me and I will not fail you. I will sustain you and I will take care of your needs. You know, a lot of us, we, we struggle with issues of trust. Uh, whether it's a relational issue or whether it's an employment issue or a familial issue, we struggle with that and we're not sure. Some of us are placing our trust in the wrong things. Like some of us are trusting in our investments and, and we're seeing those. Anyway, it's supposed to be a whistle. We see those drying up and, and we're like, how am I supposed to survive when the stock market crashes? We're putting our trust in our homes and, and maybe the values aren't appreciating the way that we want. We're putting our trust in, in the jobs that we have and then all of a sudden we're unemployed. We're putting our trust in the wrong things. And God is saying to Elijah, you have to trust me because when, when all things fade away, he says, Elijah, the one thing that will remain constant is me. And you can trust that, and you can live into that. So, so the really cool thing about this story is, is that God just doesn't give Elijah you know, uh, food for, for two weeks. God doesn't give him food for just two months. God gives him food for a long season of time. But, but here's the ironic thing about it is, is God brings him just enough for the day that he needs. Now listen to me. Um, just enough. So, so um, the greatest gift that we can get from God is not the abundance. The greatest gift we can get from God is what we need. Let me tell you what I mean by that. Let's say that you're fearful. God says, I won't give you um, removal of your fear for a lifetime, but he says, I'll give it to you for today. Let's say that you say, I'm hungry. God doesn't say, I'll, I'll feed you for a lifetime he says, I'll feed you for today. Let's say, God, you know, uh, my relationship's, you know, in, in, in the wrong place. God doesn't say, you know, I will make sure that all of your relationships are healed from this day forward. He says, I will heal your relationship today. So there's this daily dependence that we have on God. You know, God, I need strength today. I will give you the strength that you need to live your life. So God doesn't bring more than we need, but, or more that we want. God brings what we need. And that's a lesson that a lot of us need to learn. Because we live in a culture where, where we crave abundance. You know, I want the big house and, and I want more stuff and I gotta buy a house with a three-car garage so I can put more stuff in there. Or I need this and I need that. We live in a culture that constantly says that we want and live and, and go by affluenza. That the affluency, the more we have, the better we are. But God says, I promise you one thing. I promise you the provisions for this day. Do you think that that's the reason why Jesus, when the disciples asked, Lord, as a disciple, how am I to pray? 
And he said, give us this day our daily bread. So God's promise is that. here's Here's the third season. The third season is unconditional obedience. So we see that Elijah goes through a season of isolation. We see that um, Elijah goes through a season of dependence. And now it's total obedience. So God is saying, I am now working in you so that I can work through you. I am, as you're in the Kareth Ravine, I'm chopping, chipping away at, at who you are. I'm humbling you. I'm molding you. I'm making you. I am transforming you so that you can be the person and you can accomplish the work that I am calling and crafting into you. So total obedience to God. And this is, this is where um, the story of Elijah really takes an interesting turn. So let's go to verses seven through nine. Here we go. Sometime later, listen to this, the brook dried up because there had been no rain in the land. So, so he's by this brook for all of these weeks, months, however long it is, and he's had water every day. Now all of a sudden he wakes up and, hey, where'd the water go, Okay. Then the word of the Lord came to Elijah, go at once to Zarephath of Sidon and stay there. Now listen to this. I've commanded a widow in that place to supply you with food. So the the brook has dried up. The ravens are no longer delivering the pizzas. And Elijah's going like, God, what gives? You you know, I'm kind of fat, dumb, and happy here. You've taken care of all my needs and I've trusted that. Now all of a sudden, stuff's drying up and now you're sending me into another place that I don't even know what that's all about. And to a widow? I mean, think about it, a widow, the lowest in society, no economic means by any, any way, um, totally uh, thrown out of society because she didn't have a male in her life because then it was a patriarchal world. And if there wasn't a man, that's where the wealth was. So she was fending for herself in poverty and she likely had children and this one has a son. And so all of a sudden, he's, he, you know, he, he begins to sense that God is changing the direction of what's happened. So think about that. You know, you're, you're, you're in a place where you're being fed, you're being given water, you're being taken care of, and all of a sudden it's gone and you don't know what to do. Hey, Lord, I, I had a, a bunch of friends and, and now they're turning on me and now they're gone. What am I gonna do? You see, we get in these situations where, where we're fat, dumb, and happy, so to speak. I'm not being critical of like physical fat. It's the expression, folks. And, and so we get in that place where, where we feel like we're content with all those things and then all of a sudden it goes away. And we start asking questions like, God, what, what happened? I mean, did I not hear you right? I mean, you, you said to go to the Kareth Ravine and you said you'd bring a brook and you said you'd bring ravens and it's not here now. I mean, God, what gives? Did, did I sin? What, what did I do? I mean, don't we find ourselves asking those questions? And so Elijah finds himself at that very moment and, and his, his stance is, is that he's learning that the same God who gave him the water and gave him the food is the same God that can take it away. Now, before you give God a bad rap here and go like, man, why would he do that? I mean, he's gonna die. What's, what's, I mean, Elijah's gonna have food and he needs water and, listen, listen. The reason why the brook dried up and the reason why the ravens didn't deliver the food anymore was because Elijah needed the motivation to leave where he was. Hey, if I'm content and and I'm just kind of going through the daily motions and everything's great and I'm getting my fill, why am I going to want to move? Why am I going to want to do anything? See, see, we get into that that, um, kind of place, don't we? We, Whether it's in worship or whether it's uh, serving God in the church or or whether it's um, growing our spiritual life, we get to that place of complacency and then God dries up the resource that we've come to depend upon 
so that we will muster the courage to move on, that we will muster the courage to take the next step, to follow God's lead. Think about that. You know, here we are um, worshiping totally virtually because of a pandemic, a global pandemic. How many of us before this hit were content just coming into the building and, and, and doing our thing and saying our highs and byes and, and you know, doing that every weekend and week out and connecting with programs that we offer at the church? Probably all of us. But now all of a sudden, the brook's dried up, the ravens aren't delivering, and God says, move, move on. And we've had to do that. It hasn't been comfortable, but trust me, the work that God is doing in you is preparing you for the world and, and the place that he's going to do through you. So, so we see this change that's coming. You know, we, we sit there and we look at our marriages and say, God, I, I had a good marriage, but now the brook is dried up. God, I, I had some wonderful friends, but now they've turned their back on me. The brook is dried up. God, I, I used to have a, a lot of bank, but now I don't have much money at all. The brook is dried up. I mean, so, so it's a, what are we gonna do? We have to follow God's lead. God moves us out of the zone of safety, out of the way of complacency to the new place so that he can do the work that he's been preparing to do in us all along, that we can do that work through us. Are, are you following me with this? So, so, so what is it that you've asked God about lately? What is it that you've asked God and, and, and um, God to do and then it didn't happen, but then your eyes were opened to see like, hey, did it happen the way that I asked? It's really cool what God did because God had a different plan. And I see that, that I'm a, a totally better person than I ever thought I could be, or I'm a stronger individual than I ever thought I'd be. I never knew I could have the courage to, to move, move a mountain in the name of God, but look what God's doing in me. And this is what we see in the life of Elijah. God says, Elijah, go to this new place. It's about 100 miles from the Kareth Ravine. And he goes to this place, and, and he's looking for this widow. He's looking for it. So he's got no food, he's got no water, and he's looking for a widow. And, and he travels, and, and he sees a widow, and God says, that's the one. Right there, that's the one. You need to go to her, and you need to have this conversation with her. So, so Elijah goes, and he comes and confronts the widow. And let's pick up the story in verses 10 through 12. He says to her, because he's hungry, he's famished, he's thirsty. He says to her, would you bring me a little water in a jar so that I can have a drink? And as she was going to get it, he called out, hey, and, and, and bring, me, bring me some biscuits or bring me a piece of bread. And she says to him, as surely as the Lord your God lives, I don't have uh, bread, only a handful of flour in a jar and only a little bit of oil in a jug. So she, hasn't, she doesn't have any final product. She's got just enough of flour and oil and probably water to make a meal. And he, she says, I'm gathering a few sticks to take home and I'm gonna make a meal for myself and my son that we may eat it and then what? And die. So this woman is thinking, I have enough flour and enough oil and water to go make a couple of biscuits. My son and I will eat that and it's just a matter of time that we're gonna die. It's our last supper and we're gonna die. And because of what the Lord was doing in Elijah's life, God spoke through Elijah and Elijah speaks faith into this situation. And he says to the woman, he says, whoa, 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 wait a minute, wait a minute, wait. You gotta understand that God said that you are able to provide for me, which means that God is going to provide for you. So let's pick up the story some more. Don't be afraid, he says to her. Go home, do as you have said. So take, take the uh, meal and take the, the oil and make something from that. But he says, but first, make a small cake for me. So feed me first. 
Let me have it first. So, so this woman, this widow, now has to take a risk. So she has to act in faith. And he says, give it to me first and, and bring it to me and then make something for yourself and your son out of the remnants of what you have brought to me. So instead of feeding your son and yourself first, feed me first, but also make something for you and your boy. For this is what the Lord, the God of Israel says, listen to this, the jar of flour will not be used up and the jug of oil will never run dry until the Lord brings rain into the land. So, so do, do you catch this? So, so he's making a proclamation to this woman. If you are obedient, God will make sure that you will have abundance to eat until God brings rain again. And so, so we look at this, and, 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 and all of a sudden, this family is very happy, and Elijah's happy, and they're, they're doing family together. But then something changes. One day, everything is going great, and all of a sudden, this lady's, this widow's boy dies. It died. He dies. And, and, and she freaks out, and she's like crying out, and she's, you know, um, mourning out loud. And, and, and she's like, God, why, you know, did you bring Elijah here to bring this upon me? And, and Elijah, did you come because I've done some sin, and you kind of tricked me in so that you could kill my boy? Why is God doing this? And Elijah does something that has never happened in the scriptures prior to this point. Elijah takes the boy takes him to an upper room, he lays over the boy, and he cries out to God, and he says, God, I know you can heal this boy, and I ask that you do this. Let this boy live. And, and folks, the boy is resurrected from dead. From death, he is resurrected. And he's rejoined with, with his mother, and, and the greatness has come. Now, why did all this happen? Well, well it wouldn't have happened how, had Elijah just sat there and fought King Ahab. God said, you need to go to the Kareth Ravine, and you need to live in isolation, and you need to find out what it means to hear my voice. And God said, not only live in isolation, but you need to depend upon me, and I'm going to create a brook out of this desert, and I'm going to bring ravens to feed you, because you need to know that I will be your sole provider. And then God said, I want you to be totally obedient to me, and I want you to leave what is known, leave the safety net of what you have, and go to this next place. And Elijah did that, because what God had prepared him to do up to that point was not to take on King Ahab yet, but was to heal this boy. And we see the significance of this story. You know, we go 23 verses later to 1724, and we see something significant happen. You know, in, in verse one, it begins, Elijah the Tishbite. So, so he's known as a man from a certain region, like I would be known as, you know, Bob Martin from Orlando, because that's where I originated. But Elijah the Tishbite. But in verse 24, after all this encounter happens, Listen to what the widow says. The woman said to Elijah, now I know that you are a man of God and that the word of the Lord came from, that the word of the Lord that came from your mouth is true. Let me tell you what God's doing. He's doing a work in you so that he can work through you. He's doing a work in you so that people are gonna look at you and say, you know what, I, I, I see you and I, I know you're a child of God. Or they're gonna look at you and say, it's as clear as day, you are a woman of God. Or, man, um, how could I have ever missed it? I see it, and, and it's, it's all over the place. You were a man of God. Why? Because God took you to the Kareth Ravine, and he began to do his work on you in that place. And folks, when, as, as most difficult as it is, when we allow God to work on us that way, 
the whole world changes. So, so I'm praying for, for the painful moments that are in our lives. I'm praying for those moments where we feel like we just are ready to throw in the towel and give it up. I pray for you to have courage and strength. I pray for you to have determination to stay in the battle, to know that the work that God is beginning in you, that God will ultimately do through you. And that that pain that we all experience along the way, however it comes, that pain will bring God closer into your life. God is the provider. All things come from him. Praise be to God.